everyone. Welcome to the first episode of The Rhythm Section, brought to you by The Mind Refinery. I'm your host, Kyle Bodanis. This show is going to be about music, what's relevant, what's influential, where we are, where we've been, and where we're going. For this episode, we're going to pick up where the artist formerly known as The Mind Refinery podcast left off and continue our deep dive into the creative world of Kanye West with a look at the influential 808s and heartbreaks. As usual, please rate and subscribe our channel wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys, for the second leg of our deep dive into the creative world of Kanye West, we have the incomparable Coburn Blair. How you guys doing? And we have Mind Refinery Creative, Andrew Lanza. Hey, hey. Okay, guys, so when we, you know, when we left off, Kanye West had dropped graduation, uh, doing what only the greats can do, uh, transcend their genre and affect the way we listen to pop music. He also accomplishes what some rappers have hinted at, which is combining the art form with stadium rock, you know, and pop ethos, you know, with that revolutionary glow in the dark tour. Uh, moving forward, this would just be the beginning, you know, the beginning of his assault on the music industry. So what I would like to do is I'd like to start on where he is as we're moving into uh, 808 and Heartbreaks, which is a hu- massive, hugely influ- influential record. So where is, you know, Kanye West personally and professionally before he's getting into this? One of the big things that's kind of looming is the death of his mother. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's definitely, I think, the the biggest driving force as far as, uh, in, in, you know, the inspiration for this album. Uh, moving into 808s is is definitely the 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 passing of his mother. Um, we were, I mean, we were talking initially about how to structure the podcast. And we, were all, we were kind of initially even thinking structuring it like like pre that event and like post that event. So like, yeah, there's there's probably I I don't I can't think of a, an event in his life that that would be more influential, not only on 808s but like the albums that followed as well. Um, I mean, yeah, dude's in a dark place. He his his um. Uh, he was engaged to be married. That was ending at the same time. So yeah, so so that 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 pain really, I think, drove what 808s is. Yeah, because his mother died in what uh, November of 2007, and his engagement broke off in uh, April of 2008. Mm-hmm. So I think those two driving forces, and I think also we have to remember like he had reached a new level of fame. So I think with Connie's not newfound fame, but I think having a new level coming off of graduation, like a different type of fame uh, compared to like the smaller kind of fame he had before um, kind of being the number one pop star, maybe in the world at that point, And also mm-hmm. like the number one rap star combined with like these two big personal losses and also you got sprinkle in Kanye's ego and Kanye's drive and his creative creativity and his vision as well. Yeah. And also I'm, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add to also not only all those things that you mentioned, but like, I'm sure the dude was dealing with some dependencies at the time. Not only not, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, but like be it drugs, alcohol, but um, also just, you know, him being manic, um, manic depressive and like bipolar, all those things compounded is just this like typhoon that kind of led to 808. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All this coming together, it's kind of come together as a perfect storm, especially for any artist, but I think an artist is thoughtful of him and he was kind of like in tune to his emotions. It's interesting because there's this interview where he's talking about if we didn't move to LA and I didn't move my mother to LA that she might still be here. I think it's kind of a direct reference to the fact that she died, you know, getting plastic surgery. And I feel like that really affected the the themes of fame that we're going to talk to. Because as you guys were saying, he's achieving this new level of fame. And then almost this there's this symbolic and metaphoric thing with his mom, you know, passing away, doing, you know, plastic surgery. And it's like this weird continuation on musing on fame and uh, superficiality and what it brings. Because like at this point, you know, he's like a, a dog chasing a car. It's like, you, you're just going after it. It's like, you don't know what to do when you're going to actually, when you actually catch it. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I'm famous. Everything I've ever wanted 
I've now achieved, I struggled for it, that brings a chip on your shoulder, that is understandable. So I feel like that really influences how he's going to move forward, especially when we consider thematic elements of 80 Weeks and Heartbreak and My Dark Twisted Fantasy. Other acts, they would uh, kind of fall into complacency with like what we kind of outlined for Kanye, mm-hmm. where Kanye kind of takes all these kind of emotions and he instead he like reinterprets them and gives it to give us give us art and gives us like a kind of a raw insight into into all of it well he gets to go on to the next level too because you know he starts looking for more because we talked about how collaboration is such a big thing in his career and then he starts working with jeff basker and this is kind of the jeff basker era you know he started as a backup keyboardist he's a producer he's a backup keyboardist on the glow in the dark tour and kanye makes him this musical director of what he's trying to accomplish, which really kind of you start to see, and this is why there's a direct line between jazz and hip hop, because there's this idea of the band leader uh, and like the coordinator. And you start to get this almost like modern day Miles Davis thing where he's always looking for the next great group of people that he's going to collaborate and kind of help realize his vision. And, you know, the Jeff Basker is a, is a huge part of this as you know, John Bryan was previously. And th- this collaboration, def- I think it will define the next part of this, of his career. I almost would look at it like there's like a kind of passing of the torch. Cause I think John Bryan was involved in 808s and, or just at the beginning of it, at least because he gave Kanye the idea to use like the Roland 808 drum machine. And he, I think, was the one who kind of talked about like using the machine to express emotions, which kind of ultimately led to the title of, of the project. So I think there's almost like passing a baton from John Bryan and his kind of uh, cinematic universe into Jeff Basker's maybe a bit more musical and a bit more experimental kind of soundscapes that he creates with Kanye. And I think there's also Mike Dean is also involved here, who's like a Houston legend who was with DJ Screw and... Uh, well, he's got yeah. the all-star team for this. This is yeah. A, yeah. So I don't think Mike Dean's credited on it, but he he talks about doing engineering. So he was there for the sessions in um in Hawaii when they went on to record 808. So I think I'm, there's like a, a transition. I'm, sorry about that. I almost feel like he did this he just almost did this to come hang out. You know, yeah. Because he goes to Hawaii. Um, he's with them. They start vibing on music together, and you know, he's kind of just doing you know, as you said, the engineering where he's kind of doing the fine tuning, you know, and it's like there's that sonic perfection that Kanye West is, you know, it's kind of a trademark, you know, it's, it makes sense that he brings in who he brings in. Uh, so what I'd, li- I'd like to move on to talk, let's talk about the record 808s and heartbreak. What were our initial reactions to this album when we heard it? I think I, for me, I initially, I really liked it when I heard it. I know it, it definitely got like a lot of mixed reactions. I think, uh, Robocop, if I remember correctly, was the first record to leak, and I, I still have like a copy of it, like the the leaked copy on my iTunes, probably at home somewhere. Um, and it was a really, it was a divisive, sorry, yeah, um, divisive record that I think a lot of people like didn't really understand where he was going. And although at the time, like Auto Tune was as big as it like was in hip hop and as pervasive in the music, I think. The, the way Kanye was using it was closer to like electric electro synth and kind of electro pop than it was in the hip hop world that we'd kind of understood from Kanye before. Yeah. I, um, I, I as I said before, like um, a lot of these, these albums I, I went back and, and listened to after becoming a fan. And it's funny, actually, I kind of, I like when, when the album came out, obviously again, like I, I was aware of it. I, I heard the singles whatever um and I, and like you know everybody was kind of like oh it's too auto-tune oh blah, blah blah Kanye West fell off blah blah and it kind of like had this I guess kind of stigma at least from what I perceived about it and even at the time I was I was dating a girl who um a, was a pretty big Kanye fan and even she was like oh no I hate 808s I hate 808s so when I went through the back catalog I was almost not I wouldn't say dreading listening to 808s but it was kind of like all right I, I guess I'll listen to this one now and right from the jump i loved it i was like instantly i don't maybe it's like over the years um kind of uh the music soundscape like the music um environment just across the industry had changed enough that it was more kind of um 
maybe less surprising, I guess. But yeah, from the jump, I fucking loved it. I I was surprised at the uh, honestly uh, by the backlash to it. Um, I think it was a natural progression. I think you see notes of it, like you you see little pieces of it, like we talked about before in uh, graduation. So I don't think it was like a super big surprise because I, I I mean it is the next evolution, and the guy is always you know evolving and and he's he's never stagnating. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just I was I'm just genuinely surprised that it like the album got so much hate when it came out because I I think it's a genuinely great album like there's some really really good tracks on here and there's not a lot of tracks that i would i would you know skip or whatever the reaction to these kind of things is weird because at this point he's he had a narrative that we you know we looked at in you know in the first leg of this and he he transcends you know hip-hop and then all of a sudden he's like i'm just gonna chop this sound right down and only Mm -hmm. the very top tier of bands historically can get away with this doing well like you are looking at um you know the beatles multiple times you're looking at nirvana within utero you're looking at u2 with octune baby you're looking at radiohead with and this is kind of how we have to talk to him now because trying to just judge him on a hip-hop level i think is part of what not to say that hip hop isn't one thing, but I don't think. But these the thing with all these groups is you can't judge them just by his rock music as well. Uh, I think that trying to judge it as just a hip hop record is part of why it was judged the way it was. I know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, right. So, like, if you're saying, "Well, what is this from a hip hop point of view?" First of all, if he's just purely like oh, this, the 808 was used huge on this. So, if the 808's getting huge, this thing has got the the hip hop DNA in it because hip hop was built on the 808. You know, what we know is hip hop is like that is one of the if you remove that piece of equipment, it sounds different. Um, and I think that initially I was looking at it through the I will want to hear late registration lens or I want to hear gold digger or I want to hear stronger. Mm-hmm. And I want to I want to know what the, the narrative is. I want to keep to the narrative. And it was the same thing. I like one of my if not my favorite band, Radiohead, after fucking OK Computer. I was like, what the fuck is this when um, when Kid A came out? And, you know, one of my friends was just... And when I was saying, you know, uh, talking about 808s and how... Yeah, I'm like, I'm lukewarm on it. He's like, man, you were lukewarm on the Radiohead shit. And then you just <laughs> you just got it all of a sudden. Because it's like, you just looked at it differently. And the whole thing made sense. And I think that's a yeah. lot of what is, you know, what is going on here. Because now it's one of these records, one of these hindsight is 2020 records. Because this was well-reviewed by critics, but it's almost like one of those mm-hmm. critic and fan schisms in terms of what it is. Um, so very few people have actually pulled this off. The fact that he did that is, this is another thing that when people, if people try to argue that he is not one of the most important musicians, uh, definitely in the last 30 years, I would completely disagree. Yeah, I think I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. So I think like there was like a lot of people like you at the time, and I think like a lot of Kanye's core fan base because he had like longly for a long time he touted um, good ass job being his like culmination to the college job at late registration and graduation series. So instead of good ass job, which people were expecting again uh, at this time, he gave 808s and heartbreaks. So I think a lot of his core hip hop fan base were kind of like shocked and like didn't understand the album but yeah this album i think maybe is aged the best out of all of Kanye's albums to me and not that it's like necessarily like everyone's favorite or whatever but i think it has aged super well and time has been very kind to it it's interesting because yeah what oh sorry continue Les. what what, what i was what, what's I, what i find really interesting about it is i think like um what you said about how it um well, you didn't say alienate, but it's almost like it alienated a lot of his like hip hop fans, right? So it's like you have this like whole generation of like hip hop heads, like hip hop kids that kind of like passed on this album. But then when this album came out, there was a whole generation of younger kids, I feel like, that um, they heard this album and this was like their their first Kanye album. Like, this was their first new Kanye album. Like this was on the radio when they're at like a formative age. So, and you can see that in that generation of people that were maybe, you know, late teens at the time when this album came out fast forward to now look at all those people now they're the ones that are making music and you can just see how, like the, the dna on like a lot of uh hip-hop now 
like you can see that imprint of 808s and heartbreak on like a lot of like the newer class of hip hop that's coming out now. I feel like if he does good ass music, then graduation is just a title because it's just a continuation of what he's doing. So mm-hmm. the idea of graduating to something else, this makes sense. He's literally graduating to a whole other like period of experimentation, but also growth in the pop lexicon, which you always talk about moving forward with this is because, you know, it's now it's, it's looking at it from a pop perspective. And I, I think that, I mean, this record is clearly his most influential record. I don't, to me, that's not particularly up for debate because I mean, and we're going to get more into the music and stuff as we're moving along, but like this is the one when we talked last episode about how if he doesn't live, then the pop pop music probably sounds different than it is now. This is the record that really begins that and starts that. Well, I think, yeah, you look at like a Juice World or Little Uzi or Mm -hmm, exactly or like a smattering of other artists, like of lesser and higher profile. And like you could trace the DNA of this album, like into exactly. the, like it's a clear path, a clear line. And I think too, at the time when this album came out and like people had maybe started to enjoy it a bit more, they looked at this album as an outlier and a departure. And I think that was the way that I framed this album too. It was, he had his three albums, then he had this album somewhere else in a different category. And then he was going to go back to doing, almost like his normal music. And I think like at the time that my dark, beautiful dark twisted fantasy came out, it almost seemed like that because that was a bit more in line with his, mm-hmm. uh, his first three albums. But I think looking back now, after having all of his albums to at this point to look back at, you can see where this album fits in and it is part of a clear and concise like trajectory. Stand out tracks, guys. Stand out tracks. Wait, I, I just had a quick uh, question for Coburn, actually. Sure, throw it out there. Um, when this album came out, like, what was the reaction of, like, like you and your friends, I'm sure, were all, like, you know, deeply in, like, you know, into hip-hop and whatever. What, like, what, like, were all your friends kind of passing on it? Were you, like, I'm sure you enjoyed it at the time, but, like, would you say your friends did? I would say, like, a portion of them did. I think, like, Kanye, for a long time, was, like, the leader in rap, and at this point, because he departed far from the sound, and this is also the time that Little Wayne had been like kind of quietly taking everything over, who was also yeah. featured on the album. So mm-hmm. Little Wayne kind of became the go-to guy, and he was in like he was also very experimental, but in a different way than Kanye was. So I think Kanye had maybe had left the hip hop sphere a bit, and okay. even though he was still like very influential in it, he wasn't seen as like a rapper's rapper at that point because he was. He transcended. He, he was doing so much more. Okay, so cool. I, I appreciate that. Okay, can we stand out tracks? So we can move to it. I don't yeah. want to. All these good ideas are coming out. I don't want to interrupt. Um, <laughs> so for me, with my standout track on this is "Love Lockdown." I love that track. It so is so good. It's so good. So simplistic. Like the melody that, that comes beat. in with the P. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, you wrote this in five minutes. So the beat, of course, it's. You know what I mean? Like. He's just, again, he's on the 808, doing little pitch bends. He's fucking, it, it's really, it's really good. And just the simple melody coming comes in. And like when people are like, well, what's he doing on this record? Uh, this song is what I would show them. Because heavily, you know, simple beats on the 808 coming in, tribal drums, you know, atmospheric production technique to really kind of stretch everything out uh, at an ethereal nature to it. Um and then uh, doubling down on melody, 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 which he, you know, this is the thing he talks about in this. And that's the, like the really big key of, of that pop music coming in because the, you know, melody, it's the name of the game. And he understands that. I think he understands that in the way a lot of other hip hop producers maybe don't understand that. And he's able to kind of like harness it and, and work to work it to his advantage. I think too, like like you said, like with melody, like with Love Lockdown, like like this is the beginning too of melody kind of surpassing everything else in hip hop. So like the way that this album infused melody was like there was it been done before, but this from uh, him where he was out of the charts doing it like just changed the game so much. So I'd say Love Lockdown for sure is one of mine. I'd say Streetlights. I think that song's like 
so beautiful. Like you have the Daniel Caesar cover of it too. And I think for a lot of people, they hadn't really heard that song. I think I see all the time online, people like, oh, what is this song? Like they've never heard it because it didn't really catch on the same way. And it's like a bit of a a deep cut. Um, For me, my my personal favorite might be amazing on this album. I love like- Dude, the uh, Jeezy verse is stupid. It's It's so good. good. It's one of his best. Yeah, absolutely. His cadence in that and just like- Like the wordplay, oh, I, I love Jeezy on Amazing. Um, I would say my favorite, though, is probably uh, Welcome to Heartbreak. Um, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for fucking Cuddy. And yeah. like that song, just to like, um, I mean, it's not, it doesn't kick off the album, but it's like, you know, it's fucking right at the opening. Um, and like, I don't know, just Cuddy on it, um, the, the beat, everything, like, like the melody again, like we're talking about, that's, that's definitely the one that I think is... Uh, is is the one that that that's the one when i was listening to the album like like i was just like how can people how could people shit on this album like this song is fucking amazing and then it just you know maintained that quality from there like for me that is you know that's something a sound with you know the high you know the the you know the that you know that high pitch like moving to falsetto like it's something that I, I feel you would hear on like late eighties prints, like post sign of the times yeah. and it's early nineties prints pre switching to a symbol because of Warner brothers fascism. Uh, <laughs> I like, I like, I really, really like this for me is the, is the emotional touchstone with, um, with it sets up the record yeah with with coldest winter like this and that like if i were like yo we got to show um we got to show where he's at in terms of celebrity and how he feels about celebrity and you know this idea of guys are and he said there was this interview he was talking to sway from mtv and sway was trying to tell him stuff about his did he have the answers kids Pardon me. Yeah, did he have the answers? Yo, that's that's one of my favorite ones. If you haven't seen Kanye West get at Sway uh, over sneakers, then you must. Uh, you just broke my train of thought because of that interview is so. I'm hilarious. so sorry. It's I'm so, so sorry. good. <laughs> no, but Sway was showing him pictures of like his family and stuff, and he's like, "Man, he's like, I got nothing to show you. Yeah. That's that." Show pictures gonna, of his crib. Yeah, what I'm going to do? Show you pictures of my car and shit, and that kind of. This is why I it's like, like the thesis it's like the the, the thesis statement of the album yeah like, no no no. i i, I like I, literally yeah. i mean it's called welcome to heartbreak like l- just look at the title anyway. yeah I, I oh i think that's spot on so who do you think like influenced this album the most like like because i think he's mentioned like phil collins i think like boy george is another influence on this album yeah phil collins for the drums for those like crunchy like those like dead drums i i know that he um i don't know i don't know who who else uh well, the Phil Collins thing is interesting because as soon as you said Phil Collins, I'm like, it's the air of the night. In my head is like, boom, it's the air of the night. Um, that, like, b- it makes sense because of like just the way the decay is on it. Um, and then, you know, it's like the drums are decayed, but then there's this, you know, it, but it's got that, it's got a very reverberation. You know, yeah, kind of. it's like, but it's, I'm trying to describe like the reverb. It's like that you would hear in a room. Like, because like, yeah, when yeah, yeah. When you're going on, because because they have like, I mean, when you start breaking down digital reverb, it's like, you know, they if they set it almost like basically on like, is it a fucking hall? Is it you know a room sounding like? What is the space in which it's filling? And it's just it, it's fantastic, and it makes complete sense going through it. No, I, I I genuinely really fucking like this album. Like I it's I would consider 808s one of my one of my tops. Like of all time, not even just of Kanye. Like I really, really fucking love this album. I feel like we gotta also like shout out T Pain too, because T Pain was a huge influence on this album. Mm, yeah, and like, Kanye had him flown out to Hawaii to record the album, and and I believe he like kind of wanted to interpret like T Pain's first album, rapper turned singer, and he wanted to kind of infuse that. Obviously, Kanye kind of like maximizing the sounds on there and using the the auto-tune kind of like to sonically shape the album too i think it was a, a nice touch like a, a new a new thing for kanye and well, see, see this is the thing i just didn't get was the because i wasn't like huge on t-pain and then as soon as he starts working with kanye west i'm like oh t-pain just needed to work with kanye west 
Yeah. T-Pain's an insane singer. Like he's, he's very so, good. Yeah, he, is. he doesn't use like you, that's what you have to realize about T-Pain. Like, he's not using auto tune to like fix his voice. He's using it for the aesthetic. You know what I mean? He's I using it as an artifice. I think this is the number one thing you have. I think this is the number one thing you have to realize. It's like when Kanye West is like, "Hey, uh, you know, it's it auto tunes. You know, it tunes when I start. You know, when my voice goes out of tune. You know, to maintain the proper fucking pitch. And he's just like, but it kind of emphasizes the mistakes." But that's yeah, good. exactly. And that's the part I didn't get. Sorry, continue. No, that, that, that I was just agreeing with you. That was the <laughs> that was the point. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I, I remembered what I wanted to say though. By the way, um, Go for it. it was it was when you hit that kid Cudi ooh, um, you actually hit that really nicely. That's that's all I wanted to say. Oh, thank you. I was falsetto until puberty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you're now you're castrato. Now, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, that's it. I mean for. I mean, this kind of leads into like what we feel. Like, what do you feel is the biggest change from his overall sound from the previous records? You know what I mean? Like, I really like this idea of the singing as a means of expression that he talks about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's honestly the biggest. I mean, he's used auto tune all the way through. Like, you know, it's it's been on the other records and shit. But um, like the extent, the almost exclude. Like, did, was there anything that, that he did without auto tune? Maybe like. Like Pinocchio story, but even that had out of it. Anyway, I'd say that's probably the biggest kind of uh, divergence from from the last album is like leaning heavily on auto tune, and and whether you like it or not, I mean it's 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 different from from his other stuff. Yeah, I think like auto tune on this is like almost like an instrument. It's almost like mm-hmm. it, it blankets the whole album and it gives it a cohesiveness, and it is such like a dep- departure from like the way like like someone else might use autotune and obviously like the way t-pain did it as like a career but like this is like kind of just a bubble that kanye has like wrapped this album in um and it kind of insulates the album in in a certain way and i think that's why people think of it as an outlier yeah just because it it insulates the the album and it kind of contains it off yeah and also i mean he's like he's done away with the uh i mean at least for you know put him on pause of like this like the the soul samples. I think I, I I think you called them chipmunk soul samples last time. Uh, I thought that was funny, but uh, yeah, like like there's no there's none of those like soul sample. Well, um, not so much. No, it's not based um, on the, it's not based on the sample. Like his, yeah, I mean like yeah. his his. I mean like he did it down and dirty before when he first started his career. He was like taking the samples, chopping them up, doing things with them within a hip hop framework that were fucking really good and really kind of out there. But this again, this is the, that's a big part of the of the tearing the sound down. It's the less emphasis on samples, more emphasis on keys, you know, like dipping back into analog instruments from the eighties that, you know, from the roots of hip hop, melody is the biggest is the biggest one. And again, this it's the more of the consciously trying to make a pop record. I think the only soul sample I can think of is on Bad News. He samples yeah. on Nina Simone, but I think, yeah, the rest of it's like, he has like a composer sampled on one of the other songs and like, just like very like eclectic samples that like kind of, I think this album has like a really deep tie into Jesus that would come after it in a, in a way. It totally does. It, it is the, oh, the, for sure. There's really like, we're going to get into Dark Twisted Fantasy, but like Dark Twisted Fantasy is like taking this record and the early part of his career and smashing them together. Yeah. And like, it, like those, it's like combining those elements to make this, this thing. And then he's going to take it down again. Yeah. I, I think, I also think one thing that um, we, we might not have mentioned about this album is I feel like this album for like lack of a better term, but like kind of popularized like emo hip hop where it's like, it made it a little bit more okay to like talk about your feelings in a song in, in hip hop, I'm not saying that never existed before, but I think that um, definitely this kind of made it okay, like made made it um, made it more popular to you know be really open about about your emotions at least. I mean, if you want to call this a hip hop album, but uh, on like a on like a hip hop album type type situation. I want to talk more about the Kid Cudi collaboration. How do you think that helped you know mold what he's trying to do here? Yeah, so quick, what, quick question. What was this? Uh, was this was before Kid Name Cuddy, right? The mixtape. I think this is after the mixtape, but before uh, end end of the day or his first album, Man on the Moon. Okay, okay. 
So this is after the mixtape. I think Kanye had picked Kid Cudi up like Cudi because of that. Before. Yeah, because of that. Um, so Cudi has what f- I think four writing credits on this album. So I I think just the way that Kanye can kind of borrow and inhabit other artists' sounds and kind of use them and build upon them is like obviously super unique to him, but it's definitely very apparent on this album. Cause like, this is also the introduction of Mr. Hudson, who was uh, on tour with Kanye, I think the year before on the glow in the dark tour, like he was opening up in Europe. So like uh, Mr. Hudson had a profound impact on this album, obviously T-Pain and then Kid Cudi, I think would be, and then Jeff Basker kind of goes without saying, but like kind of the, the four kind of worlds that like Kanye kind of pulled into his, his world. And I think Cuddy's sound with like Plain Pat and Emil and his producers, um, it just, it articulated really well into 808s and Heartbreak. And mm-hmm. Cuddy is also like a pioneer of the kind of the emo, if you want to call it emo rap sound that kind of would come after it. So yeah, like, like as much as like Connie is old for the legacy. Yeah. Like I think you have to put Cuddy up there too in the, on the Pantheon. Yeah. Yo, and those those oohs can get, get, hit me with one, Kyle. <laughs> They're so fucking soothing. Um, sorry, just quickly, I looked it up. Actually, uh, 808s came out in November, and then Kid Named Cuddy came out in July of 2008. Oh, okay. So yeah, I, I I was actually just curious about that. So what so what was Cuddy doing before Kid Named Cuddy? Just like was was there any other mixtapes? I can't remember if he had any other mixtapes out. I remember him being around like on some ten, like on some of the ten deep mixtapes that they were putting out back in the day. Like I know he was around in New York. Do you know okay. which, what's the one with what's the one uh, Coburn with? Can I be on it? The one that samples the fucking um, LCD sound system song. Oh, that's a good question. Because uh, I thought that was on the first one that he did. Yeah, you might be right. Because <sighs> that song is banging. I used to listen to that over and over again. Because I'm like, yeah. dude, this just makes me want to fucking pitch stuff and punch people. Uh, it's fucking, it's it's really good. Also, like, you see this when on this record hugely on, like, what is the through line to Kid See Ghost? Coasts? Like, this record is huge on. Yeah, oh, for sure. Right? Like, it, it, like it's it's it makes sense. It's like they kind of understood that sound they were going to build together and, you know, all their collaborations have kind of been just them working on that, developing that, moving, you know, towards, you know, what they, uh, you know, you know, what they most, that both mutually wanted to achieve. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk though. I wanted to talk about like what we felt the overall impact of this album was on the, you know, on pop music in general. So like, how do you guys think it's changed things? Oh, like obviously, I think like Drake's whole kind of sound his like gloomy sound that him and 40 built like 40, like talks about building it off of uh, say what say you will. So I think that is a huge like influence on like obviously where Drake is at today and, and the way music kind of resonated. And like you said, emo, the kind of emo rap or emo kind of sounds like you have, another Phil Collins kind of um, inspiration and in, or sampling of in, in Juice World's single that was like completely huge and Juice World talks about 808s being a huge inf- um, influence on him. Yeah, and if so you were to try to pull those records back, like, what does the last five years look like? Yeah, like, I don't know what, and tra- uh, Travis Scott too, I think, like he talks about skipping over um, his first three albums and this was the album that he latched onto. And you can hear it all throughout Travis's music, obviously. And he's also another big Kid Cudi fan. And the way he tra- he collaborates with Kid Cudi is like eerily similar to the way that Kanye and Cudi work together. That's actually yeah. really true. Good point. Yeah, like as I was saying before, like I mean, this this is I'm sure like just a huge amount of people's like first Kanye album. Um, and like I, I feel like the whole like for lack of a better term, like the like the SoundCloud rapper genre. I feel like that almost doesn't exist without this album um you like you can just see it so clearly like the like the line so clearly to this album the way that all that kind of uh, all those kind of tracks are produced and stuff like that um like i don't know I, I just see a direct line to this album and i mean i'm not saying that wouldn't have existed in some other format but i just think that 
like this was you know like the 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 dna of that of that uh genre or subgenre at least well i think the whole idea of taking a laptop and just making a rap album came from you know the first three records and stuff so like it completely makes sense that and like i mean that let's the back backpack rap idea and the soundcloud that soundcloud i can't even speak today soundcloud rappers it's like they're just people with a midi controller a laptop and just ideas and yeah that's what Kanye west travels around with to this day just so he can pump stuff out and that's that's the big thing i think people like travis scott because travis scott i mean he's forward like he's 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 pretty forward thinking in terms of marketing in terms of the sound he wants to make in terms of crafting a stage show. This is obviously taken directly from that, but it's like, this it's a whole bunch of, there's all these millennial rappers who have just taken this record. And so my thoughts yeah. are like, if you're listing most influential records of all time, I think you actually have to talk about this one because it completely, I mean, look at Drake, like, what does like, think about Drake and like take care and stuff like you start seeing it's almost like if you removed a primate from our evolutionary ladder you know what I mean like if you tried or like an if, if you tried to take like something out of the out of our DNA or out of our evolution or Australopithecus and all it of wouldn't sudden, be the same it's like what what the fuck would we be would we have flippers yeah. would it even be good would it be you know what I mean like I think don't that, don't be distant flippers yeah, I know. I'm just fucking trying to do stuff with, like, you know what I mean? Like, Kanye West is one of the people who is in that chain of things that have created the the music culture. Yeah, I don't think there's too many. I don't think there's another album in his catalog that's more imitated than this album, and not like imitated in a bad way, but just like like that can you can draw like direct parallels to where the sounds have come from or like the thoughts kind of have come from like as influential and as great as all of his other work is i think this looking back might be might like surpass all those other like all his other works yeah and i think that this is where you start looking at if we're looking at pop music last 30 years prince and michael jackson to me, are the only ones who are really looming larger, um, because I mean they're, they have the two two of the biggest records ever put out, uh, especially with you know Michael Jackson and Thriller. Like Thriller is, well, I mean we can't oh, like especially as individuals who were like when it came out. I mean none of us were alive. I think it came out eighty three. I was maybe one. I was maybe just born when it came out. So none of us can really truly understand like the world impact of and you know the cultural impact of thriller coming out or purple rain coming out or sign of the times coming out and i think he's the only one who's really put out records that are of that caliber or of that of that pop music importance is that too much to say because like no i I don't 100 agree like michael jackson even like said i remember there was an interview with his daughter coming out saying that like he loved 808s and heartbreak and that was his oh he told him yeah fucking michael jack michael jackson was the one that told him to like sing on the 808s and heartbreak he's like no like go for it man like sing so i think like once you get blessing from michael jackson like that puts you automatically in that pop stratosphere like for sure yeah i really can't think of anybody like i'm trying to think of people whose careers over the last 30, 30 years have like really hit those heights. Like I can't, honestly, I, I, I really don't have an answer for that question. I really think I, that you're looking at those three artists, to be honest with you. I was um, actually having a conversation a little while ago with um, some friends who are, you know, very musically savvy, but they're not, they're not fans of Kanye West that much. Like, so I'm, I was talking to them about how, you know, Kanye West is, in my opinion, the Michael Jackson of our times. And they laughed at me and they laughed and they laughed. And I was like, no, like I am 100% serious. And like, they just did not get it. So I appreciate the validation. It's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But also you cut, you contextualize it into our time. Like, even if, listen, no one's put out thriller. No one has. Like if you're yeah. looking at the big, that records of that size, it's uh purple rain. It's Sergeant Pepper's it's i'm like no like it's i'm trying to 
you know what I mean? You're looking at maybe fucking Exile on Main Street. You're looking at some of the greatest records of all time. And yeah, I think for sure. I think that we are at a point where we have enough historical distance now that okay, you can't really at some point you can't deny facts. Right? And I know it sounds like we're buttering Kanye. I mean, Kanye West's not even my favorite rapper, right? It's just like if we're trying to be as an objective, I love him, but you're trying to be as object, objective as possible. I mean, we're going to get to the stuff we don't like, I think, mostly in the next episode. But this, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, no, I really, I like for me, if I'm, if I'm trying to be honest with all the metrics that you're putting together, like what is where the sounds are coming from, uh, just sh- like number, like video quality got spike like he's he's getting spike jones out there he's gonna hype williams work the best and yeah man i'm sorry like i i mean i'm i'm still trying to peruse records for influence i mean paul's boutique is what you're dipping for for influence you know because like that like it's it's those records yeah Uh, absolutely so i want to just before we move on to my beautiful dark twisted fantasy the fame you know the fame kills tour this whole thing with Lady Gaga, this I think certifiably one of have been one of the biggest tours of all time, um, because she's she's super good too. I'm not a big fan of her stuff, but I think that's more of an aesthetic, th- you know, like a like an an aural. She's talented thing. as fuck. Exactly, she's talented. she's talented as fuck, and she's one of the people who understands the Matrix as well, um, who who kind of gets the rules and knows how to play with them and how to like deal and like and how to succeed in it. And also, it also helps that, I mean, her voice is so on point. When she sang the National Anthem at the Super Bowl, I was just like, okay, this is, we're talking like since Whitney uh, level of good. Um, But the whole Taylor Swift thing kind of just kind of kills, or they believe kills it. Like, what is our thoughts on that? I mean, I I would say so, because like, from like what it was like a management issue they said but like that tour would have been huge like uh jeff basker was also involved that tour and he would later kind of go on to work with uh lady gaga and be her creative director for her like next set of tours but um when when was the vmas it was in like 2009 or something like that yeah september 13 2009 so uh 808s is about a year old at that point and i guess that would be the the tour to support it and I just can't imagine what those stage production would have been like on that tour, like Lady Gaga and Kanye West. Like it must have so been. So it didn't happen. No, it never happened. So what? What happened? I I didn't know about this. The Taylor uh, Swift VMA thing. Oh, yeah. it, this was backlash from that. Well, this is yeah. what we're kind of discussing. I'm like, this is like people have mused on this that this is part of it. Wow. Yeah, I, I think uh, t- so. The Taylor Swift. Uh, incident happened in September, maybe like mid-September that of 2009, and the uh, tickets went on sale, I believe, the week after or, or the same week. Oof. And then they canceled it like right after. Jeez. I mean, it's Beastie Boys rage, if not higher level of. Oh, the yeah. What what was that album called? The. Uh... Beastie Boys and Rage Tour, and at the drive-in too. What was it called? The uh... oh yeah. Uh, so like, think about that f- fucking tour at the drive-in, Rage Against the Machine, and fucking Beastie Boys. But then you have Lady Gaga and Kanye West. I mean, like, this is one of those things. This is one of those. I find with Kanye West, as with any of these big things, you know, these big artists, there's always this "what if" mythology kicking around. Um, you know, you see guys like Jimi Hendrix and how he was chilling with Miles Davis. And everyone's like, well, what if that happened? What if this happened? What if they played together? They talked about jamming. And uh, I'm very much into these, the the pop music uh, legends and mythology. And th- I can't even fathom what the stage show would be because it's just, I can't, because you're collaborating on it. You're probably going to end up working together and, you know, like, or singing together on stage. Like, it's ridiculous. And as you said, Coburn, like, it's this is the support for that album. So, kind of don't get it. Yeah, like uh, like it, it must have been over that incident because like like the mo- the amount of money they would have raked in. I think even if like I think um, one of the lawyers or someone was talking about it, or sort of radio station had basically said that like um, like kind of white America or like the the world wouldn't forgive Kanye. But I think even for 
just the press and like the negative press that kind of would have come off of it. Like people would have still bought tickets just to see or maybe like yelled at Kanye kind of thing. I think one question I want to ask you guys is like, where do you think Kanye, what was Kanye's image at this time? Like what did people think of Kanye at, at this time before the Taylor Swift incident? I think Obama, oh, before the Taylor Swift yeah, incident, before incident, before the incident, I feel like people thought he was kind of like a, a megalomaniac. I guess a bit of a, a bit of a douche for lack of a better word. So Coburn, could, just so we understand the situation, could you tell us about the, 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 the whole Taylor Swift kerfuffle? So it's September of 2009, uh, the MTV VMAs, which are the video music awards, not that MTV, I don't know if it was MTV even playing videos at this point uh, to be determined. I think they had like shows like TRL and shit. I yeah. think by this point they were almost running com- like 20 straight hours of the real world. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the greatest reality show of all time. So I, I'm I like, yo mama. Yeah. For like the other four hours. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to yo mama. Yeah. RIP. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so at this time it's uh, 2009. Uh, 808's has been out for about a year um, I believe uh, there had been no tour for it at that point just maybe some shows and some of the festivals um, it's a VMAs Kanye shows up with Amber Rose and a bottle of Hennessy let's be real here the, the, the Hennessy was culpable in this yeah, 100% <laughs> a nearly like a half empty bottle of Hennessy on the red carpet in New York and this is like the MTV VMAs, which for some reason MTV has like what, like four award shows a year. These things are mostly like kind of like record label, like it's a circle like, jerk. Yeah, talent shows, maybe, you know, this is our At new art. At this point, it's unnecessary clout. Yeah, yeah, like no one, no one really cares or remembers any of these shows or performances because they happen like three times a year. But uh, Taylor Swift gets up on stage and she's won an award for. Uh, her song. I, forget, I don't know what song or video it was at this. It time. was best video. I don't remember which one. Maybe Shake It Off. No, yeah, this is before that. Before this that. is before that. Yeah. This is like pre pre Shake It Off. Yeah. Um, so she is getting out on stage to accept her award for best female best video by a female artist, and none other than Kanye himself gets up and runs on stage, and in the middle of her impassioned speech. Uh, for winning and her holding the award there comes out completely side swipes her and this is not his first time doing this like we said he'd done this before to uh just these and the, the european music awards so this is not a new kind of not train not train yeah. not train no. <laughs> so he says and this is a, fam- a famous Kanye quote at this point now um i'm gonna let you finish but beyonce had one of the best videos of all time one of the best videos of all time and kind of like does a little shrug and leaves the mic and gets off stage you know cut to the whole audience who's sitting there like cut to beyonce out. yeah beyonce he's just like what are oh you my doing? god yeah. why did you involve me in this <laughs> and uh well like this is like i don't know if in another world if this is a big deal but like it it is it's like becomes the biggest deal in music and probably the only thing that anyone's going to remember about that night in 2009 no one I feel like I feel like if that Yeah, oh yeah. I, I feel like if that happened now though, that would be like a headline for like two days and then everybody would have forgotten about it. I feel like the music's like I mean I, like aside from all the events obviously that are happening in the world right now, I'm talking about, you know, three three, four months ago if this happened, it would have been like news for a couple days and then I feel like it would have quickly been forgotten about. Yeah, music's like wrestling now. They have all this kind of shit happening all the time. Like, people are fucking interrupting. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's uh, everything's think, PR. Everything's pageantry. Like, it's, you know. What? Like, that's also another interesting thing about this is a lot of people, I don't know if they still do to this day, but, like, there was a lot of, like, you know, speculation that this was, like, a pr- promotional stunt, especially because, like, the whole VMAs is really a promotional stunt at this point. Um, they had, like, the same PR agent between them. People had, like, kind of, like, done all this like oh they had this person in common this agent in common or whatever so like this was like coordinate coordinated pr stunt you know like hype up taylor swift and also like give Kanye like infamy Coburn, i don't know Coburn, about that Coburn, i got a question here i think that you know 
you you're only qualified to answer as as a black man what would the implications of having the first black president call you a jackass uh have like was that something your family would be embarrassed about i mean like i think that's something that kanye will never live down and i think it's (laughs) it's why kanye jumped on the trump wagon as soon as he could because he was like man the last guy called me a jackass like you know like i'm gonna get in good with a new president and like we're gonna be like friends I'll wear a stupid hat or whatever. That's what. Well, did you see his comments? Did you see his comments now about the whole thing? He's like, yeah. you don't get a me- you don't get a meeting unless you wear the hat. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not saying. Yeah, I don't that's, know. That's but like, what it was. Getting, like you know, like there. it's funny because I guess looking back at it now, like Kanye has famously interacted like you know very closely with the last three American sitting presidents. And I'm like, what other artists? Like you know, can can you say has done that or like has like an impact? On that's a good point, dude. He I never was, thought of it that way. He was just beef. Yeah, that's well. This is this is the listen because like obviously there was all this bullshit with censorship in the late eighties and early nineties with hip hop and all that kind of stuff. But this guy, like literally, he's being full on mentioned in tweets and in conferences and in discussions with presidents of the United States. Thanks, like, Kanye. Very cool. Fucking the Trump tweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this is why he just wanted to be good. Yeah, because like two straight, yeah, two straight presidents were just like, okay, I can't deal with Kanye West. Uh, and these are radically different presidents. And then he's just like, I got to get good with one. And he just chose Trump, which is, I mean, he's great at choosing collaborators, but like political entities to graduate to, I mean, not his bag. I mean, Kanye and Trump like have a lot in common. They're both like, you know, very loud very like kind of abrasive personalities um you know like narcissists narcissists to a degree like flaunt wealth in, in a certain way um like there's there's a lot in line and like you know if if trump was a democrat and like you know he wasn't like the biggest asshole in the world and like you know creating well trump was a democrat until what like 10 years ago or whatever democratic, exactly. d- democratic donor yeah. for his entire yeah, like, life almost yeah so like you know, like if the tables were turned and he ran as a Democrat president and like wasn't like you know continuing such like abhorrent policies, like there might be a different like world there. You know, like and like Kanye might have still been close because like you know Trump was like very involved in the hip hop world. Like people were always quoting him and like he was kind of involved with in the wrestling world too. So the wrestling know. is the best. Like the- he's a WWE Hall of Fame only president. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, can you see Obama trying to do that? Like, come on. I could see Dennis Rodman doing that, and, you know. (laughs) (laughs) He's got the best DDT and rebounding. He's fucking consistent.